Hello Watch Enthusiasts and welcome to Watch Chronicler Unscripted, the podcast available on SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes or any other podcast player in addition to YouTube as a full video. In today's episode I'd like to speak about something which I've been pondering for a few days now and which has brought quite a few interesting thoughts to mind, and this is watch design longevity. You see I was looking at the 2021 Omega Seamaster 300 a couple of days ago and the thought came to mind that whilst it's an improvement you could say on the previous generation with regards to being appealing to a wider audience today, I'm not sure it's a watch which is going to be very appealing in future because of just how overtly vintage it is in terms of appearance and choice of materials. And this has made me think, what actually makes a watch a classic in time, aesthetically speaking? What makes a watch look good in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years, maybe even in 50 years, as is the case with a lot of watches we now revere, which were released in the middle of the 20th century. And so in today's episode, I'd like to have a look into what makes a timeless watch design, or rather what makes a watch design which is going to be appealing into the future, or certainly into the foreseeable future, because let's be honest, 20 years ago nobody would have expected watches to become such a big thing, certainly for the groups running watch companies, but also in terms of widespread appeal, which has increased quite considerably over the last 20 years. Before I begin properly, do remember to like, share and subscribe if you're watching this on YouTube, and to follow us on whichever podcast player you enjoy using to always catch the latest pieces. Of course, also remember that you can find out about the latest podcasts and videos, as well as articles on Watch Chronicle's Instagram page, or simply head over to watchchronicle.com to find the bulk of content. A timeless watch is a curious concept to consider, because there are a lot of watches which are timeless, not necessarily because of their aesthetics, because they were historically important. Take, for example, the Patek Philippe 5070, one of the very last of the Lemania-based chronographs produced by Patek Philippe before going fully in-house, or in-house design, let's say. And that's a piece which is always going to be remembered and appreciated because of its piece in the overall chronology of a very famous brand. But aesthetically speaking, different periods have had very different looks. Let's look simply at the 20th century. The 1930s had rolled or fluted bezels and cathedral hands. The 1940s became more restrained with more unified lines and formed the backbone of subsequent decades' design. Then the 50s had sharper designs, more refined details, and certainly more straight lines throughout their designs, whilst the 60s had larger cases to an extent and really were the peak of pure functional design in the eyes of many. Then in the 70s, the bright colours which started to appear in the 60s really took the fore as well as very bold case shapes, very extravagant lines, large cases, integrated bracelets being important features. In the 80s, smaller sizes became more popular with the return of mechanical watches after the quartz crisis, and there was a revival of classical details, including a sense of conservative design after the 70s. Then in the 90s, as mechanical watches became more mainstream luxury rather than highly rarefied luxury, more curvaceous designs returned, but also designs which had heavy roots in the past, but with a very strong curved 90s twist. And then in the 2000s, larger sizes took the fore, with bolder designs aiming for a new, younger and different market. Finally, in the 2010s, we've seen vintage style reappear, with smaller sizes becoming more popular and new materials becoming commonplace like ceramic bezels. And whilst each period has certainly had its appeal, there have been certain models or certain designs which have remained appealing and attractive, like for example the Omega Speedmaster Professional in its manually wound format. It's simply a design which works. Likewise, the Petit Philippe Calatrava has remained a simple but very appealing timeless design because of its simplicity, and the Rolex Submariner, of course, has, due to perhaps its functional design and the fact that, aside from having a very distinctive Rolex look, it was a very practically orientated watch, 
has remained an icon both aesthetically and, of course, in the overall appeal of watches because of the brand and because of the history. Even so, I think something worth noting is that some watches which are unbelievably popular today are not necessarily guaranteed design classics or models which we'll look at in the future as highly aesthetically attractive. Perhaps aesthetically important, but I don't think attractive. Like, for example, the Patek Philippe Nautilus, a virtually impossible watch to buy these days, and one with enormous premium over list price, but one which fundamentally wasn't particularly appealing to collectors or the general public alike since the 1970s or 80s in the same way as it is today. Sure, this design has seen a resurgence, but it could very easily return to relative dormancy in the next few years as market appeal changes. So I don't think a watch like that, popular though it is, can be seen as a design with serious aesthetic longevity. So all of this preamble leaves us with one overriding question. What actually makes a good-looking watch in the long run? And I have a few different hypotheses, and I'd like you very much to leave your thoughts in the comments section below, particularly on YouTube, because I'd be very curious to hear what you think is the predominant reason. As a spoiler, I'm not actually going to give one final answer, because I don't think it's that simple, but it's certainly interesting to consider. And I think the best place to begin is, is an extremely modern design the right way to go? Certainly a lot of watches do have a very crisp, very modern, unhindered design, let's say, by history, but the question is whether that actually helps. And certainly there's a lot of good. It allows a watch to not be hindered by changing attitudes or understandings of the past, and also provides the opportunity to show fundamentally new shapes and to save a brand from overly similar competitors, because it does give a certain freedom to a brand to follow their own path, but of course a brand has to grasp that freedom. Look at, for example, the Nomos Metro, which is a very innovative, very crisp, and very well-resolved dress watch, which you can admire because it has details of the place it's from. It has a modern German feel, let's say. It's very well made, which of course helps, and it's not aesthetically attached to anything from the past. Sure, it takes a lot from the Bauhaus roots of the brand's inspiration, but it also realises that it doesn't need to repeat any of the original shapes. It can take a new path. Or in the sports watch field, look at the Oris Aquis, a subtle evolution of Oris's range of kettle-shaped dive watches, which range from the original TT1 to the Aquis, and now the second-generation Aquis, and of course all the spin-off models. And it has crisp lines, and no real provision for retrospection, which is quite important, because it allows the watch to be its own product. Crucially, it's also completely unique, and has a very consistent design language, an important point in terms of building value within the product. The Oris might even be the best example, in fact, because each generation of this particular watch's design has been refined, granted, but also has a very different character, so one doesn't get the sense that previous owners of older variants of this design are being left behind and ought to upgrade, because ultimately if you like the older design, it is simply different, not necessarily worse, to the newer model. The only snag is that there are downsides to a modern design, because modern watches exist in a world which is fundamentally indifferent without them, technically speaking, so it's hard to make a modern design have much soul, character, or particularly mystique, on account of being functionally irrelevant to most people. Of course, you can use advertising to fill that wedge, but it's no given thing. Modern design can also mean making a watch without all the lovely and fundamentally dated details, which still look great because they're not, in fact, old-fashioned. They are simply timeless, and I'm speaking about fonts, I'm speaking about different shapes throughout the watch's design, and of course sizing as well is a key point here. And I will give a couple of different examples of situations where I think modern design hasn't necessarily helped the brand, and these are purely opinions, and don't actually reflect whether these watches are good or bad aesthetically, but they're really being used to make a point. Look at Christopher Ward these days. They've gone for their new light catcher case, which is actually an extremely handsome design. There's no getting around it. 
It's a modern and certainly appealing, but somewhat inert design though. It's very neutral and, as a result, can be a bit emotionless when they release a new product almost every two months, with seemingly very limited difference between certain ranges. Now, perhaps I'm being harsh on the brand, but I think they have a catalogue which is stuffed with a lot of products with very similar design features, and the result is a crowded and perhaps even confusing market which diminishes the appeal of each individual product. That's just an opinion, but I think it illustrates a certain point of modern design. There's also a flip side, which is a very vintage-inspired design, and this has really been the predominant thrust of the watch industry over the last decade, and with good reason. This particular direction is able to use the intrigue and wonder of times past, when watches were important to create a real sense of charm and charisma in their products. This approach also makes the most of either very high points of design, such as the 1960s, or very extreme and unusual periods like the 1970s, for which you can somewhat excuse more bold, and unusual appearances, which would, if released as purely standalone designs, seem a little bit out of place. This is not to mention the fact that these designs tend to be simpler and more elegant, particularly in the case of sports watches, because in a time when necessity was key, overcomplicating something was fundamentally pointless. So ultimately, this particular way of making a watch allows us to enjoy design cues which will probably never reappear in the wider aesthetic world we inhabit, and thus provide a mix of nostalgia and exoticism. The Tudor Black Bay is an extremely good example. It typifies a simplified, charismatic, all-the-dive-watch-you-might-ever-need concept with a love affair with the Tudor and Rolex past, including their achievements in diving or exploration, which are all very exciting and very appealing. Then you have the specific remakes of older models, like those from Hanhart, Aquastar, or Breitling recently, which essentially provide facsimiles of past, important, and storied models produced to modern standards, which mean you can wear them every day. They also bring back specific human achievements and the exact watches which made them possible. And that can't really age because it's like having a museum replica of something. It's an appealing product not because it has to fit with modern times and won't have to fit with modern times in future either because you'll be able to look retrospectively in those periods just as you can today. Then again, you could make the very reasonable argument that as time progresses, these older examples may become less relevant to the audience able and keen to buy new watches. And of course, a lot of vintage design was pretty poor. There were a lot of very ugly watches from the past, and a lot of watches which had the same fundamental flaws as modern watches, aesthetically speaking, I mean, and also often technically. So perhaps vintage design isn't so much a case of replicating the past as picking what has, after 50 years, by chance or coincidence, proven itself to be extremely well-conceived and appealing, rather than simply replicating everything from the past. But then this does permit brands to use this experience, this extremely long-term experience, to better mould their modern watches to a proven and tested design, rather than simply anchoring their watches in the past and not progressing forward. So I think there's a lot to be said for this vintage design, even if the form we see it in today is perhaps not the best for the future. Another argument you could present is that for simplicity. You see, overcomplicated watches are generally perceived as ugly by a lot of people, unless they particularly click with all the details, because these watches don't provide aesthetic cohesion and tend to appear cluttered to a lot of people. This is particularly a case in the modern world when we may not use most of the features of the most complicated watches on the market, and unless you're someone who really enjoys high complications, then ultimately the choice of complications you have on a watch is fairly restricted to the movements which are affordable. Whilst complication preferences change over time, simple watches, let's say with just the time or maybe the date, will always be relevant because these particular displays will always be useful no matter what the fashions are at any given time. 
And of course, a simple watch has far less about its design to age, quite simply, because generally there are fewer elements to the design or those elements are more neutral, which helps an awful lot with avoiding the potential loss of appeal of certain details. Really, you need only look at the Bauhaus-inspired models from Nomos, Junghans, or other brands like that, which have a very 30s design, and in fact, are almost identical to 30s watches. I mean, just look at a Nomos Tangente, and then look back at some models produced by other German brands in the 30s, and they are essentially identical. Due to simplicity, these could have been designed last week. They are simple and very, very appealing. Then in the sports watch field, you have watches like the Zin U1, a mix of pure functionality in a thousand meter, extremely technical dive watch with clean, crisp and simple lines. It's a watch which is bead blasted, for instance, in order to not reflect too much light and to be more legible, whilst also not showing bumps and scratches. It has simple, flat lines on its appearance. The dial is produced from blocks of luminous compound. It is as simple as you can get in this field, but I don't think it would ever look outdated because it does a simple job perfectly and nothing more. Of course, to some people that's a little bit too clinical, but then for those who like the appeal of the watch, it will always be an important model because it doesn't feel anchored to anything other than its function. Of course, this perhaps doesn't apply too well to high horology where you're also enjoying the complications as well as the particular approach to design which that brand has, which tends to be independent from the particular design details the watch has, which you might compare against others from other brands, because ultimately you're enjoying that brand's outlook, not necessarily a direct comparison to competitors. But even so, if you look at something like a Langer Saxonia, this is an unbelievably simple watch, which allows simplicity to give its movement and the sheer quality of it the best opportunity to shine. And whilst different people may have different opinions on the Handwerkskunst models from the brand, which are unbelievably complicated and very lavish with enamel elements too, this watch will be appealing to almost everybody because of its simplicity. But then of course you could make the argument that an overly simple watch which is poorly designed has far less space to hide. Look at some of the fashion watches on the market, or indeed look at some of the less appreciated expensive brands. Look at Tiffany's watches for instance. They're not necessarily bad looking watches, but they come across as unbelievably nondescript as a result of not having any particular standout features which catch the eye and with nowhere else really to hide, particularly behind any kind of movement or complication because of the lack of additional features on the dial. Finally, we come to brand image and design consistency. And this is perhaps where I think the most impact takes place on a watch's design, because I think all of the aforementioned points have an effect to some extent, but this is a point at which some brands are made or lost. You see, consistency in design cues help the long-term appeal and understanding of value of a watch to, I think, a general buying audience, which in turn increases the chance of that particular look becoming a classic. If a brand produces a disjointed range of models, it becomes more difficult to recognize importance and establish appeal for the average buyer or admiring outsider. Consistency across a range also allows a brand to refine a concept for any given customer, just look at Rolex with the Oyster. They have a model which fundamentally looks very similar for each different occupation or potential buyer. The look of the case is fundamentally unified and it's recognizable as a result. And as a result of the brand's broad appeal and widespread appeal around the world, there is an anchor for that design in every market. Even the Rolex Cellini, the least popular Rolex by far, and perhaps by extension my favorite, still has that Oyster case in terms of design, not in terms of watch resistance, that being said, but still in terms of design to some extent. These design details are also generally not fixed to one point in history, which is very helpful in order to bring in vintage inspirations, but also provide a very crisp, modern-looking watch, 
within the confines of that particular design language. The Liar Lugs seen on the professional range from Omega is a very good example. You see a fundamentally similar design appearing on the Speedmaster, on the Seamaster in various iterations, and really keeping the whole collection together as a unified block without the worry of models appearing outside the brand's usual appeal. It is also possible that because of the widespread advertising for these particular designs over the years, they have invariably remained relevant rather than appearing dated, which perhaps they would have had they not maintained that kind of public image. Let's take, for example, the Omega Seamaster Planet Ocean. It's a watch which aesthetically is very close to the original second-generation Seamaster 300 in the 1960s from the same brand. And because that particular look has continued through time, in some forms in the 90s, you could say, in a very changed format on the Seamaster 300M, it has remained appealing, because even though a customer may not know the history, they will be acquainted with the appearance, and therefore will be more receptive to the design of the watch they're potentially buying. But what do you think of this matter? What do you think makes a timeless watch design? A watch design which looks just as good today as it will tomorrow, or indeed it did look yesterday. I'd be very curious to know what you think, so leave your comments in the comment section below on YouTube, and of course remember to follow us on whichever podcast player you enjoy using to always catch the latest. Thank you very much for watching and listening. This is Armon from watchchronicler.com, out.